It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. I can already see uh, texts uh, and WhatsApps coming in. We welcome those throughout the morning, 0862 103 103. Some questions already in for Annalise Giselle, our nutritional therapist. Annalise uh, will speak with us later on on the programme, but you can get your questions in throughout the morning and we'll put them to Annalise a little bit later on. I can also see some commentary coming in on the Ukrainian uh, situation and the lack of accommodation for some uh, people fleeing the war in Ukraine who arrived on our shores, in particular those that arrived into Dublin Airport and the government is today now working on a new scheme to encourage people to hand over empty homes in the hope that those empty homes can be used to house Ukrainian refugees and obviously people who will hand over empty homes uh, they will get payment in return but straight away when you think about that you think about the number of people who are Irish people who are living in emergency accommodation, homeless people, and they're living in emergency accommodation because they're trying to find rental properties. Uh, I'd say there isn't a day goes by where we couldn't do a story from somebody contacting the show looking to see if there's anything to rent in an area throughout Cork City and uh, County. People living in fear that their landlord will contact them to say that they need the property back. We know that there's a shortage of rental accommodations. So I don't know where the empty houses are unless what the government is thinking about are holiday homes. We know that there are a number of holiday homes dotted around the country. Now whether they're going to put in enough financial incentives in place for families to give their holiday homes over, the state will pay them in return and then they will use those houses to use the holiday homes to house Ukrainians. That's the only thing I can think of because there isn't a plethora of empty homes around the country because if there was, people desperately in need of rental accommodation would surely be living in them. Anyway, uh, the state officially ran out of spa- a space. We, we were warned about it. We knew it was coming. There suddenly was no more room at the inn at the weekend and that was to house the people uh, fleeing from Ukraine. So what's happening is ministers today are meeting. They're going to hopefully try to discuss new plans to address our refugee crisis. Ten more refugees were left without accommodation yesterday. That brought the total number to 43 of people fleeing Ukraine who couldn't be offered emergency accommodation. One potential 
federal government's solution to the growing accommodation crisis is to try to develop this a new payment for people who are willing to hand over these uh, properties. Now that scheme by the way will be in addition to the one that's already in place what's called the accommodation recognition payment. That's where householders get €400 Euro a month to take refugees into their own homes and many people have uh, done that. So it's going to be separate to that particular uh, payment. There has also been some discussion around increasing that €400 Euro to encourage more people to take refugees into their home. If somebody, say, had a spare bedroom or maybe two spare bedrooms, you'd be encouraged to take people in. So that €400 Euro could go up. There's also a push to get local authorities to identify vacant properties that they have and any vacant properties that they have that could be used to accommodate people fleeing the war. Now, the Cabinet Committee on Accommodation and on Supports for Ukrainian Refugees, they're meeting today and they're going to discuss moving the state's handling of the crisis from an emergency strategy and they're now talking about having to juice more medium and long term solutions now we already know that the state has booked around 25% of all hotel rooms in this uh, country are currently booked but the capacity now has been reached there literally are no more hotel rooms for refugees they've reached the full capacity on that so there is concern over what will happen when existing contracts with hotels when they come to an end, some of the hotels might decide that they want to go back into tourist uh, letting instead. So there's a big worry there. We saw what happened in Killarney last last month when the refugees were, remember they thought they were going to have to move them to Mayo and there was a big petition because a lot of the refugees, the Ukrainians that are living in the hotel in Killarney were working, their children were in school. Now there was a change of mind on that. I do think they moved out of the hotel, but they got them accommodation locally in Killarney. So they don't want situations like that developed. So ministers today will also discuss the prospect of opening a new reception centre for refugees. The reception centre that we have at the moment is the one in uh, City West, but that's full, has been full since last week, and they can't move the people on. I mean, the whole idea of a reception centre was people went to the reception centre, would spend a day or two at most there, and then they would get moved on. But because there is so little accommodation now available, backed up by the numbers that are coming into this country that 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 hub that was a reception centre is now more long term for the people that are living there so it's the children's minister Roderick O'Gorman he's the one heading it up he heads and I could never understand why this why it landed with the Department of Children I do understand there's a lot of children involved but should the Department of Housing not be involved in this as well anyway it's been left to Roderick O'Gorman and his department to and he's now trying to establish large-scale state-run reception centres for refugees which can be used to move away. They certainly don't want to go down the direct provision route so they're looking at opening up newer state-run reception centres. Roger Gorman is considering buying existing buildings. He's looking at things like disused hotels and set them up as new reception centres for all refugees not just those fleeing the war in Ukraine. The government is also considering plans 
to ramp up the delivery of modular housing that they've been talking about that for quite some time and I don't know if any of those modular homes have been built. Prefabs is another option and they're talking about putting pre prefabs on the site of army barracks that they could be used. I mean a number, some of the army barracks were used for tents but obviously we're into the winter months. You can't have people sleeping in tents in the winter months so they're saying instead of the tents could they put prefabs in, uh, in place. Ministers will continue to work with the other EU counterparts in countries that are also struggling with accommodation crisis. Of course it isn't just here in Ireland because Ukrainians have ended up in all of the different European uh, countries. So I suppose talk to our EU counterparts as to how what have they done and how, how are they managing? Yesterday, the Ukrainian ambassador to Ireland said the lack of accommodation for Ukrainian refugees coming to Ireland, particularly what happened at the weekend, she says it's unacceptable. The ambassador said it would be better if the government had informed people in Ukraine in advance that they didn't have enough beds. Now, we do know that they did, they did say that get on to the Ukrainian uh, embassy to let the people of Ukraine know that there wouldn't be any beds at the weekend, but I suppose her point was that notice was uh, too short. She says it's unacceptable. She, of course, is worried about her own uh, people. And she made the point that, you know, they bought their tickets, they arrived in Ireland, and that it would have been better to announce there was a lack of or an absence of accommodation in advance. And I know there was some stories of some of the refugees who arrived at the weekend, you know, talking about selling all of their bits and bobs, any property that they had to get the money together in order to purchase the flight to get to uh, Ireland many of the ones that are arriving now are not people that have a lot of money or have a lot of means and that's why a lot of them were the late ones uh, to arrive and of course they arrived then and there literally was uh, no accommodation Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney he's admitted at the weekend that the government got caught out by the increase in the numbers of Ukrainians uh, arriving uh, to date he says almost 60,000 Ukrainians have been accommodated he also agrees with the Ukrainian ambassador that what happened at the weekend is unacceptable. But when I hear, you know, Simon Coveney and and others say, you know, we, we, they, that we really got cut out about this. When the war first started and we first started, you know, opening our doors and our many people opened their homes to welcome Ukrainian uh, refugees, we were told at the time that that number could reach 100,000. That's what was expected. And that's when things were, they were trying to put things in place. So I can't understand, you know, we haven't, we're not at that 100,000 where 60,000 so far has arrived. So I don't know how they have been cut out because there was always talks that more and more people uh, would arrive. But of course, the ongoing problem that we have with housing the Ukrainians is the fact that there is a huge increase in the number of people coming from other countries who are seeking asylum in this country and that they are separate to the protection that we are offering the Ukrainians. And reading in the Examiner today, the Department of Justice is admitting that they are now going to step up checks on people claiming to be coming from war-torn countries amid concerns that some people are coming to this country and they're coming under false pretenses and they're scamming the system and they're coming here trying to claim asylum when they're not entitled to claim asylum. So there's talks of a unit now being established at Dublin Airport to facilitate these more tougher, stringent uh, checks and if needs needs be there will be a greater number of deportations because I was looking at trying to 
get a handle on some figures over the weekend on people that are arriving into this country seeking asylum. And I came across a stat that really sort of blew me away that about 40% of, in the first six months of this year, 40% of the people who arrive seeking asylum, now these are not Ukrainians, these are people coming for international protection, as it's called, under the asylum-seeking process. 40% of them arrived at Dublin Airport without any travel documents. Now, in order to get on a flight, an international flight, they would have needed travel documents, i.e. they would have needed a passport. So that is indicating that large numbers of people are losing, are destroying their passports between getting on the plane and then reaching immigration in uh, Dublin Airport. And it was just under 3,000 people flew into Dublin Airport in the first six months of uh, this year and did not produce uh, travel documents. And obviously if they don't produce travel documents, they then refused leave to land but then of course they can say oh I'm here to claim asylum and of course as soon as they utter those words the process must must kick in and we have a legal obligation and then he would say that we have a moral obligation as well when somebody arrives uh, claiming that they need asylum but we certainly have there is a legal obligation there and there are uh, there were a number uh, coming from you know countries like Georgia and I know even last week somebody was saying you know Georgia is not a, a country where people should be fleeing for for asylum So, of course, if somebody has lost their passport, they can technically then claim that they come from anywhere if they've got nothing on them to state uh, where they are coming from. So we we, it's good to see that the government are saying and the department are saying we need to do something. We need to tighten up uh, the checks because it seems uh, one of the reasons that we are seeing this big increase in the number of refugees coming, looking for international protection. One of the reasons pointed to is what the EU decided to do, that they were sending all their asylum seekers to Rwanda in order to be processed and that put the fear of God into a lot of people who didn't want to end up in Rwanda. So suddenly asylum seekers who would have gone to UK suddenly said, well, we'll go next door to Ireland uh, instead. But also it seems that other EU countries have significantly tightened their entry requirements. So if other EU countries can significantly tighten their entry requirements, do we need to start doing the, the same thing? Because we have a big enough problem. We're trying to house people who are genuinely fleeing from war and fleeing for their lives without people getting into that queue uh, and are scamming the system. An amount of commentary coming in about the news at, when it happened at the weekend uh, that there was no room for uh, refugees arriving in this country and many of them ended up having to sleep on the floor in Dublin Airport. There's also newspaper reports that some of them actually ended up uh, sleeping rough and it's the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin. Wonderful Capuchin uh, Day Centre and Brother Kevin has ended up feeding the refugees that arrived about 46 I think in total ended up with no accommodation. Miriam says Patricia this morning there is another pylon of criticism from all media commentators about the government's handling of the Ukraine refugee crisis and that of asylum seekers. Am I the only person who thinks we've done a remarkable job in providing accommodation for 60,000 people in a few short months. Other European countries, France for example, many times the size of Ireland, have only taken 120,000 Ukrainian refugees. Also one has to ask why Ireland is the destination of choice. Is it our generous support system? Minister Coveney needs to bring this up at EU level and get other wealthy countries to step up and do their share. We have done our level best, uh, says uh, Miriam. And I do know, uh, I did mention that, that is one, that is one of the things that um, Simon Coveney is going to do. He's going to look to other countries, firstly, to see 
what sort of a situation they're in and how they're handling it and no doubt that's one of the things that will be covered they'll look at uh, what what asylum seekers re- receive and what Ukrainians receive in other countries okay some of your texts in on uh, this John says Patricia did you hear on the news that the Ukrainian ambassador is not happy with the Irish government over the lack of housing for Ukrainians isn't he a gas man well he's not a gas man because um, the Ukrainian uh, ambassador to Ireland is uh, a woman uh, Larsa uh, so she, it was she that made those comments at the weekend John uh, reckons there's plenty of accommodation in Ukraine and Ukrainians don't want to remain in their own country Ireland is much more attractive why because of all the extras they get by coming here for example they get social welfare payments they get free accommodation they get PPS numbers they get free medical cards if they travel over in their own car they will get free vehicle registration tax will they? Anyway, uh, it's time for our great government to step up to the plate and say our country is full. Well, that's exactly what they're doing, John. We simply can't take any more. Is there anybody else agreeing with me? I think this country has done enough for asylum seekers, Ukrainians and all other people from other countries. Enough is uh, enough. Problem that we have with asylum seekers is we have a legal obligation uh, that when somebody arrives on our shores and say that they want to claim asylum, uh, they then have to go through the process. But do we need to speed up that process and make Make sure that people aren't scamming the system. I think that's certainly what needs to be done. Somebody else says, I have nothing against refugees, uh, but can you tell the government, please, they need to look after the Irish people first. We have homeless people living on our streets. We have homeless people stuck in hotels. It's so unfair. We need to look after our own first. Michael says, what's wrong with placing Ukrainian refugees in the agricultural college in Clonakilty? Students no longer reside there on campus. Michael reckons there's between 60 and 70 bedrooms. They have full catering facilities, gym, etc., Michael says, I highlighted this particular venue a number of years ago when the Syrian refugees were coming, but nothing happened, says uh, Michael. Now, well, it'll be interesting when that Cabinet Committee is meeting uh, today and they would be really scrambling to find as much accommodation as they can. And I know one of the points is there's going to be a huge push on local authorities to identify any vacant properties in their area. So maybe it is a building that will come to the fore. Somebody else picking up on the Ukrainian ambassador saying it's unacceptable for refugees not to have proper accommodation I wonder how many she has taken in to her own embassy in Dublin and I don't know and I did a quick Google search and I actually couldn't find out if uh, she has taken any in are are they allowed to you know there's lots of rules and regulations around embassies so I I, I don't know maybe she's not allowed to and uh, Mary says Patricia there are three empty houses in our road the road is about two miles long I also know of a council house that's been emptied since December the 31st last and that's in one small area. There's plenty of houses out there but surely at this stage there are enough refugees in this uh, country. Is it time to say no more? 0818 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103 and I just saw earlier on something came in from where's it gone from Anthony he wants to know if anybody was travelling from Cork where it was in Killarney on Sunday afternoon there's a pub called the Dunlow Lodge somebody mistakenly left that pub and it's of the belief there were some Cork people there and picked up a yellow bag by mistake the yellow bag contains musical equipment and so 
somebody perhaps got home and only realised that wasn't our bag. We have all of Anthony's contact details if that was you. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Loan, the charity that supports older people. Some elderly people are turning off their fridges and not using their cookers due to the steep rise in food and energy prices. Joining me to discuss the challenges that are facing our older population is uh, Frank Dillon, who's Head of Communications and Fundraising at Alone. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, and, Good morning and, and thanks a million for joining us. Firstly, your helpline, your helplines, are they busier now than what they were, say, during COVID times? They are they are busier because we have more people manning them and um, we're able to support more people so yes they will be uh, we took 20,000 calls over 20,000 calls last year to the support of the Farrell line and um, we're, we're on target to unfortunately beat that this year Would your main worries be around the number of people living in poverty or those who are at risk of poverty? I suppose alone as a charity we support older people to live at home and to stay at home and it's all the issues around that loneliness is still a big issue but more and more so we're seeing the increasing cost of living uh, affecting people and, and that's certainly taking up a lot of the calls at the moment as we get ready or oh, we approach winter rapidly But a big concern to hear of older people turning off their fridge and not using their cooker Frank Yeah and, and we're, we're, we're there to advise people not to do those things and, and I look People are making hard choices out there between easing and easing. When you live on a, a fixed income, you do have to make choices because there's, there's no disposable um, income to play with. So people are making hard choices. And what we're trying to do, um, we got together with the Department of Climate, Environment and Communications to support a program this winter where we're advising people how to sort of get through the winter with the rising costs. Yeah, and I was I was reading the results of the the survey that you conducted amongst um, some of your uh, the older people who who contact uh, alone. I mean, to hear older people worried that they won't be able to afford a Christmas or a birthday present for their grandchildren that's really heartbreaking to hear. It is, and I suppose it speaks to that lack of disposable income uh, that that people are, are are suffering at the moment because costs have gone up so much. Um, it started with energy, but we're certainly staying in food costs at the moment as well. And people are, we, 92% of the people we surveyed were concerned, most concerned about heating and um, energy bills. And then after that, they were extremely concerned about the general cost of living, which we have to read in as food. And then after that, it was it's a big concern over sort of breakdowns in household appliances which again speaks to the lack of disposable income where people just can't deal with any financial shocks in their life And that's where, because we only touched on this last week, that's where we have the exceptional needs uh, payment but a lot of, and and in our discussion we were were talking about the fact of there are a number of people who are not even aware that that exceptional needs payment is there if God forbid your cooker breaks down or your fridge breaks down for example, you know older people can reach out but they find that difficult to do and that's why I suppose alone is there and we will support people with applications and we go through forms. The government in the last budget also increased the eligibility for the fuel allowance. So somebody who might have applied for last year and got knocked back might actually qualify for it this year. And then 
we can help out with that on the support line. Okay, well done. And loneliness and social isolation, Frank, is that still a very real problem for many older people in this country? It is, Patricia, unfortunately. I I don't think um, for a lot of people everything's been put back together after the pandemic and we we certainly saw loneliness amongst all age groups, but certainly in older people go up during the pandemic and and there's still a lot of social structures, day centres and places like that that haven't fully opened. So um, it is still a concern for people. And keeping warm this winter is so important for uh, older people that we, we really need to reinforce the importance of keeping the heating on and for people to use their electricity. They're terrified of that big bill arriving. Absolutely. And, and the supports are there and, and we can throw along, we can put them in touch. But heating, is, it becomes a health issue the older you get. And um, if you witness, you know, if there's something frailty in any sense, it is very important to say keep keep the heating on keep the keep warm as best as possible there's there's ways apart from the heating with the layers but we're also talking to a generation I suppose who've been through fuel crises before but there are more practical supports now and alone is here to help people get in touch with them okay and your phone lines are open at 8 a.m to 8 p.m Seven days a week. Seven days a week. And that's 0818 That's right. Okay. That's it. Listen, you do fantastic work. Uh, well done, uh, Frank, and well done to all of the volunteers. But thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Frank Dillon Communications and fundraising at Alone. At Alone. And to any older person, because I know a lot of older people find it hard uh, to reach out. Alone is a wonderful organisation because you'll have a friendly voice at the end of the line, even if you just to chat with somebody and chat through a particular problem that you're having at the moment. But on the on the one on the fridge, you know, people t- uh, turning the fridge off in the hope of trying to to save a bit on the electricity. And of course, it's false economy then because if you switch it back on, it's going to cost you more then to get it back to where it was before you turned it off but you'd be fearful that food would go off but a fridge freezer running for a full day will cost you 41 cent I went on bonkers.ie and they've done a breakdown on the cost of individual electrical uh, items now it'll be slightly more for some people slightly less for others it depends on the unit but this is kind of the average uh, unit that was being charged at the start of this month so it's 41 cent a day to run a fridge freezer so please leave your fridge on but looking down through it obviously the cooker the, uh, the an electric oven cooker is we always know is expensive one full hour of cooking will cost you one euro and uh, eight cent if you can start doing more things in the microwave you can certainly save money because 10 minutes of use in the microwave is just six cent which is way down and of course the big ones are the immersion switch off the immersion two hours of to, to fully heat a 120 litre tank from cold which is the standard tank in most people's houses will cost you two euro 58 cent for the two hours the tumble dryer one hour of drying is one euro 29 cent and then it's the electric cooker is the third most expensive followed by the uh, dishwasher. Other things I looked at uh, if you want to do less ironing here's a good reason to do less ironing a half an hour of ironing will cost you 54 uh, cent and an electric shower, five minutes in an electric shower is 34 cent. The whole idea is to try to time your shower and the kettle 10 minutes of boiling your kettle is 18 uh, cent and if you hoover a lot, the vacuum cleaner. Uh, 20 minutes of hoovering 
and 10 cent. So we'll give up the hoovering and we'll give up the ironing and we'll save a bit. But please leave your fridge, fridge freezer on. 41 cent is what it costs. That's for a full one 24-hour day of running the fridge freezer. 0818-103-103. Your lines are open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, half of the population's sewerage is not being properly treated before it's pumped out into our rivers and into our seas, with the EPA saying that that means 500 million litres of potentially contaminated wastewater is released into the environment every single day. To discuss the EPA's uh, findings, I'm joined by Pranchia Sotuma of Clean Coast uh, Ballynamona. Uh, good morning to you, Good morning. Hi, Patricia. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. Were you shocked by the EPA's report or did you actually expect it? <laughs> it's somewhere in between, isn't it? Um, not surprised, I think, is, is, is where we probably are. I mean, you know, when you look at this, um, in, in 2018, Irish Water said they would have 30 of 35 untreated sewage discharges connected to a treatment plant by 2021. Notwithstanding COVID, you know, it's now quarter four of 2022 and 32 of these 35 uh, sewage discharges still remain untreated. So, no, uh, not surprised. Um, Frustrated, yes. Um, You know, because this has been going on for for quite a a long time now. Yeah, it's not that they didn't know it was going on. Um, And the news for us here in Cork, not good. Four areas pumping raw, raw sewage into the environment. Yeah, um, I suppose the three of them would be on our patch that we would be managing for um, uh, marine litter, which would be Ballycotton, Whitegate, and, and Ahada. Um, so, like, I mean, if you if you look at if you look at Ballycotton, a wastewater treatment plant has been planned for for Ballycotton since at least two thousand and six, and we're almost seventeen years later, and uh, all the wastewater continues to discharge untreated to the foreshore. And will do so until at least 2025. So look, it's 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 just not good enough. And and look, Irish Water should have no reason for any further delays. Um, you you look at let's say Gary Vaux in Ballycotton Bay. That used to be a blue flag beach, and due to pressures and most notably from the wastewater infrastructure, it hasn't achieved a flag in years. And you know when you conversely when you look at Yallfront Strand, mm-hmm. you know and it's regaining its blue flag. Due to the investment Irish Water made in the infrastructure, we can see the difference it, it, it makes. So I suppose the, it, it just makes the inaction here by Irish Water in all these cases all the more frustrating. Yeah, because only half of Ireland, Ireland sewage is treated to European standards. When yeah. we touched on this on, on Friday, you know, people were saying, how, how are the government getting away with that? How are Irish Water getting away with that? Um, well, look, you've got the EPA who, who are coming out and publishing this annual report, which is a really good thing, uh, because that keeps the pressure on. It was a news thing. Uh, un- unfortunately, events in the UK overshadowed it. Mm. And probably, you know, the news cycle changed a bit, much to the, the relief of, of, of some people maybe in, in, in Irish water. Um, you know, these these reports by the EPA are important because, I mean, if they're not publishing these reports, I mean, it just becomes, you know, a, a toothless dog <laughs> some some way, you know, um, and, and to put the pressure on. 
you know, I suppose it's it's when you, I think probably up in Dublin is probably skewing it. Uh, the the Rings End plant there is probably skewing the results a little bit. But I mean, you look at all, uh, you know, I suppose where most of these areas are, they're predominantly dotted around the coast. There's very few inland, um, uh, but it's it's mostly dotted around the coast, which which kind of would would make one ask questions. Would you agree with the EPA when they say Irish Water must intensify its work? Absolutely, and and give us realistic timelines. You know, I mean, if you know, from from our point of view, and and um, you know, if 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 Irish Water are coming out and saying we're going to have X, Y, and Z done by year dot, and then the next thing. It's, it's not that and we're pushing it out and pushing it out and pushing it out. I mean, you know, I'd much rather have realistic um, uh, timelines from Irish Water as opposed to something that's, that's you know, um, I suppose, you know, the, these timelines tend to be broken regularly. Um from from our from my observing and from you know us observing you know what's happening you know it's 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 uh, it, it's just frustrating. I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, you know, I mean, we I was only on with you a few weeks ago, and we were talking about sewage related litter. Mm. I mean, that that's that's something that continues to happen and needs to happen because no matter when you know if these wastewater treatment plants are in situ and when they're in situ, um, you know. The 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 you know there's still only the three P's that can go into the toilet, which is pee, poo, and paper, because otherwise you're looking at you know uh, the toilet's being treated like a bin, and you're looking at not only you know bacterial, but you're looking at at litter then you know and in the plastic form, um, which will only be clogging up and making these wastewater treatment plants ineffective because the evidence is there that um, uh, litter such as cotton buds or sanitary waste or wet wipes you know these that these wastewater treatment plants you know are are unable to to treat that kind of waste and it certainly can render them you know out of action and 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 cause for for costly um for costly repairs Okay, so what we uh, need on top of on top of let's say a water quality issue. Yeah, what we need now are clear action plans from uh, Irish Water and timeframes and timeframes that they actually stick to. When we had you on uh, a few weeks ago, Princess, you mentioned your the Clean Coast calendars. Are they still selling well? Um, we 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 need to sell more. Do you? Okay. <laughs> we were certainly we were certainly out of the traps early in 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 trying to get you know our, our I suppose our calendars out there. Um, uh, you know, on the shelves early, and you know, ultimately, seaandlandtrust.org is where you can have it delivered to your door. There's fabulous shots of of um, you know, there's uh, Capel Island in Yall Bay, there's Ballycotton Island, and and other you know beautiful settings. I suppose on the shore, on the coastline where where we're working. So you know, we we have a certain limited amount to sell uh, to keep us financially viable going forward into into the year, into next year. Um, so yeah, we we definitely need to to sell a few. Ah, uh, yeah, I think we're coming into the period though for people to think about it's kind of November, December. People stick think about buying calendars, and I'm always pushing for people to make sure that they buy a charity calendar, a local community calendar, because we all mm. need a calendar in our house. And I think you know one like what, what you're promoting is great, gorgeous pictures on it as well, and it's great to send. I think to the diaspora, if you know anyone from the area who will know those scenes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've we've sent quite a few now to the UK um, at this stage, 
um, you know, as a, a little gentle reminder of home or, or maybe what they're missing. Um, you know, but look, it's, it's uh, you know, there's many groups who I suppose coming up to the Christmas time who are doing great work. A lot of them, you know, are working on social inclusion. Um, you've got, you you know, lots of tidy towns who are doing it. And, you know, ultimately, if it's not ours, you're going to buy, maybe buy, you know, your, your, your more local one. But um, yeah, ours would be a first preference as far as okay. like All right. So, what, so, so clean, clean Coast Calendar, once again, just to let, remind people where they can get them from. Seaandlandtrust.org. You can have it delivered to your door for thirteen seventy five, um, uh, or you can buy them shops locally, such as Super Value in Middleton, minus the postage, which is ten euros. Okay, well done. Good luck with it. We'll speak again, Prince. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thank Talk you. Soon. You're always great. Uh, whenever we reach out to you, thanks a million. We appreciate you taking our call. Uh, good morning to you. That is Prince Sotuma, who is with Clean Coasts Balnamona on that really what was a shocking report out from the EPA. But, you know, to the likes of uh, Prince, he wasn't disappointed, I think, more than shocked. Uh, he was actually expecting it. 0818103103. Our lines remain open. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. We need to take a break. News at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Uh, when I mentioned I was uh, going through the papers before I came on air this morning, can I just say well done to uh, Connor Capeless of the Irish Examiner. He's done a really good, good piece about the situation in Kilavullen and the water problems in Kilavullen. And actually, John Paul tells me he's already had some calls in this morning about people from the Kilavullen area and what they have been putting up uh, with. People in Kilavullen have been living now under a boil water notice since the 2nd of May. So that's all of May, June, July, August, September and we're coming towards the end of October. So next week they will be six months living under a boil water notice and it's due, according to Irish Water, due to high levels of tubridy, which means cloudiness Um, and it's in the local water source. It's been an ongoing issue in, not just in Kilavullen, it's been an ongoing issue in other uh, water systems around Ireland but for some reason uh, good people of Kilavullen have been under this boil water notice for uh, six months so far and actually it's even longer when you think of earlier on in the year there was a boil water notice in Kilavollen that ran for several weeks in March and then the boil water notice was lifted and we thought everything was fine and then suddenly 2nd of May we were announcing here on the radio uh, on behalf of Irish Water and Cork County Council to tell the good people of Kilavollen they needed to go back and boil the, wa- the boil the water again and I think a lot of people thought it'll just be a few, few weeks and they'll sort it out. Nobody could have been predicted that six months on they are still under a boil water notice and uh, Conor Capeless of the Irish Examiner uh, went to Killeval and spoke to a number of people there and just talked about how difficult it is for people. I know, for example, the local, the principal at the, or the deputy principal at the local secondary school is saying that parents are, are, are asked to send their children into school now with extra water. I mean, that's a shameful situation that the school finds itself in. And in the latest update, this was on the 7th of October, Irish Water said that works are ongoing 
going to make the water safe in the short term. And there are long-term plans to link Kilavollen up to the Mallow Public Water Scheme. But Irish Water are saying that is going to take two to three years. And an issue that I've certainly mentioned when I've spoken about people in Kilavollen and anybody else is on a boil water uh, notice with the energy crisis. And we're all told to cut back and watch our energy use. And people are terrified of their electricity bills coming in every two months. I'm always thinking of the people in Kilavollen who have to boil their water. And uh, seemingly many of them now are seeing uh, excessive electricity bills. And it has to be down to the fact that they are having to boil their water. It really just is not good enough. We've had some calls in this morning. Tony in Kilavollen says, I'm living in Kilavollen. They're claiming that the problem is Tubridy. Tubridy does not cause illness, though, according to Tony. He said the last sample taken, now the, uh, Tony is somebody who has a knowledge and kind of understands the science behind all of this because he says the last sample that was taken, according to Irish Water, was in June. And according to their website, they stated that the Tubridy levels were one. 1.1. That was on the 1st of, that was in June. He says he's tried ringing Irish Water, but oh, he's just getting the same answer. And that Irish Water are hoping to connect the good people of Kilavollen to a new water supply. But until then, we remain under a boil water notice. But Irish Water themselves, in their latest update on the 7th of October, said it could take two to three years before Kilavollen will be hooked up to the Mallow public water supply. Margaret is in Kilavollen. She says her neighbours have very young children. She thinks it's really, really unfair on them living under a boil water uh, notice. It's causing, she says, unnecessary distress and anxiety with no end in uh, sight. And I know on our news at 10 this morning, Barry was saying that Irish Water, we're running a piece that Irish Water have been called to rectify the ongoing problems with the water supply in Kilavollen. And he spoke about the boil water notice being in place since the 2nd of May because of the problems caused at the water treatment plant. Short-term works are taking place in an attempt to improve the reliability of the source as well as developing the long-term plans for the area. OK, we know the long-term plans for the area is to connect it to Mallow and we know Irish Water says that's going to take two to three years. But what are the short-term works that they're talking about? They've been working on those for six months. That's almost more than short-term now. So um, I, I do have huge, huge sympathies for people in Kilavollen. But well done if you get a copy of the examiner today. A really good piece by Connor Capeless uh, on it. 0818 OK, a lot of commentary coming in on the Ukrainian uh, situation and the fact of what we mentioned at the top of the programme this morning that uh, so many Ukrainians now that have been arriving, there are no no accommodation available in this country and unfortunately people had already got flights booked and they got on the flights and they came to Dublin Airport and I think it was 46 up to yesterday uh, when they arrived, no place for them to uh, stay. Some of your comments in, Tom says, Patricia, how come the government this is to do with the fact that they're having the Cabinet Committee on Accommodation and Sports are meeting today to discuss the state's handling of the crisis and they're talking about moving it from an emergency strategy to a more medium and short and trying to find medium to short term solutions. Tom says how can they have that meeting about accommodation for the Ukrainians and indeed other refugees uh, why are the government not having these meetings about the homeless Irish in all honesty Patricia why are we not looking after our own 
first it's a disgrace I know Ukrainians are fleeing a war situation and what they are going through but what about our own Irish homeless people uh, what about all of the other people who are looking for accommodation those who are coming seeking um, what about all the money that has been spent by the Irish government to date I wonder how many houses could have been built for Irish families from the money that has been spent there are too many people their countries now living in uh, Ireland uh, my own family me and my own family were struggling at the moment we're struggling to put food on the table we're struggling to pay bills there are times when we go without food and this sort of thing is happening all over the country the government needs to wake up we need to look after the Irish first says uh, Tom James says can't people see that we have thousand plus homeless in this country already and now we are telling refugees that we have no spaces for them uh, Killarney is full of refugees at the moment the majority hotels are full there's plenty of cities in Ukraine that doesn't have war that has hotels available why can't Ukrainians move to other parts of uh, Ukraine I'm fearful that some are scamming the system they're coming here and getting everything I'm very mad about all of this says uh, James and why, says Martin, why are the government letting things get so bad that people are turning their fridges and TVs off? It's, that's when we spoke with Alone earlier on. It's worse than a disgrace. The government don't have a clue on what is going on and what people are going through at the moment. And still the government are allowing refugees and paying for refugees coming into this country. I think maybe we'll be better off without a government. Who'd run, who'd run the government then, uh, Martin? Uh, do they actually know what is happening? It's time now for an all-out uh, strike. Uh, yeah, and I suppose the government will come back and say, look, they gave $11 billion in the last budget. They're doing the best that they can. And actually talking about giving the $11 billion in the last budget, uh, Mike wants to know the extra money that's been given out for the living alone allowance. Uh, when is that bonus payment to be paid? Is it next month? It is. It's in November. I don't have a date. I'll try and get you a date on it. But it is next month. I know last week anyone on social welfare got the bonus payment. There will be another bonus payment at Christmas. But the bonus, the extra money for living alone is, is down for November. And then Carmel was on to us saying, hi Patricia, um, I wonder will all those people people who are looking for more handouts from the government curtail their spending on Christmas presents and all of the excesses of the festive season. It is good it is good for children to realise that Santa isn't a magician capable of satisfying their every desire. I know this idea won't be popular, but isn't it time for all of us to appreciate our government benefits and for all of us to do our bit and to sacrifice ourselves? So wouldn't it be great if people sent in their ideas to bring about a less expensive Christmas this year? And it actually may end up being a happier one for all. Thanking you, says. Uh, Carmel that got me thinking and uh, thank you for that it's a good email and I wonder would others agree with uh, Carmel do we all have to cut our cloth to our measure this year and even people who can afford to be extravagant do do we all need to rein in the excesses of the uh, festive uh, season do we need to tighten our belts uh, a little bit do children today expect too much do they get too much is now the time to rein it all in a little bit are, will you have parents do what parents always do they will put themselves into debt to make sure that their children will get everything that 
holiday desire on uh, Christmas morning. So your thoughts are welcomed on that. Would you be with uh, Carmel and have you come up with maybe a solution already to how to have a less expensive Christmas this year? Uh, Certainly, I I would know chatting with friends and family members, lots of people seem to be shopping early for Christmas. People who perhaps traditionally didn't shop early for Christmas and spreading out the the expenses of uh, Christmas. And as always, when you're shopping for Christmas, please try to do your best to support some of our local businesses, our small businesses, our independent stores, because they are the ones, you know, who we need. We need to put money their way as much as we can, because, I mean, even, I know it was on our news, but it's on the front of the examiner today that two iconic businesses forced to uh, close uh, one is a Porter's, which have been serving customers for nearly a, a century. Porter's on St. Patrick's Street shut up shot, a shop shut up shop on Saturday after 46 years in business and they cited the rising energy uh, costs and actually they also spoke about the cost the Porter store manager Christine Kelleher said the closure uh, was down to the pressures of the pandemic but also the cost of parking in the city centre has had an effect on their business and then I think a big shock uh, yesterday with the, was the news that bon, Bonnie uh, Callanan's in Myrtleville is to to keep its doors shut until the economic storm passes. Paul O'Byrne, the owner, says it was with a heavy heart that they've decided to put bunnies to sleep until the economic storm passes. And I, I really do hope that um, uh, Bunnies does reopen because that is a much, much loved bar and restaurant in Murcherville. But I mean, is this really now very much a sign of the times? And are we particularly for restaurants and the pub trade are going to come under huge, huge problems with the cost, the rising cost of energy, particularly the energy costs are rising. I mean, I was only speaking at the weekend with a family member who has a, a very small uh, business, a small little uh, shop, but I was asking him about the energy costs and what, you know, what's your electric bill gone like? And he said it's actually doubled. It's gone from 700 uh, euro uh, to 1400 euro. And, you know, how long can small businesses keep going? That's why it's important if you have whatever you're doing when you're doing your shopping this Christmas to try to spread some of that money out. But you remember those smaller shops and businesses and the small little independent uh, stores in particular. 0818 103 103 John Paul, taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Ward personnel, they are recruiting for ground workers who need to have experience in pipeline, excavation drainage and concreting. Call 021 233-9120. Fishers and electricians are wanted. It's to install industrial doors and dock equipment. Email CVs, please, to treetechbuildlimited at gmail.com. An early years educator is wanted for Timaleague Community Play School. CVs, please, to Timaleague Community Play School at gmail.com. An Araglin House Nursing Home in Bohabwee. They're looking to recruit chefs all levels to join their team. CVs please to chris at araglinhouse.ie. You'll find all the details 
and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Derelict properties, according to one city TD, are a ticking time bomb threat to public safety following firefighters having to make safe a derelict building in the heart of Cork City last week. Are we getting anywhere closer to sorting out our dereliction problem? Well, Frank O'Connor is an anti-dereliction campaigner who once again joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, and, uh, and you're welcome. Does it annoy you or does it upset you when you once again see a derelict property set on well, fire? I think when I saw it once last week, I was quite upset, to be honest. Um, I suppose it kind of brings back memories of, I suppose, what we've heard about the uh, sort of person who died in Cork, sadly, in, in 1999, you know, and the fact that there are so many derelict properties across the city in precarious condition and the fact that the property is going to in Bag Street during the week that it was identified as being of concern back in April 2021 but obviously nothing happened with it so we've known for quite a while that the property is in a bad condition so yeah it's it's quite upsetting and uh, obviously it gets frustrating as well you know I mean there's so many derelict properties across the city in a, in a time when we need homes for, uh, for so many people uh, it just doesn't seem to make any sense Patricia And when properties are allowed to go a derelict there's always the risk that they'll attract antisocial behaviour, isn't it? And that's then what leads to something like that, a, a fire being set. Yeah, I suppose there's, there's obviously the antisocial behaviour. There's the fact, obviously, it makes an area feel unsafe. I mean, parts of Cork City are feel very unsafe because of the dereliction and the decay. But also, like I said, it's the impact on the, on the local community yeah. and the local economy as well. You know, obviously, uh, Bad Street is a thriving street. You've got a lot of students going through there every day. And obviously, a lot of local businesses as well. So it kind of it, it sort of impacts everyone, really, to be honest, Patricia. And um, you know, I suppose most of all, it affects the potential of the city. And it's not just Cork, as we both know. It's right across the country. It's right across the country. You know, so much dereliction decay, and uh, there really is no excuse. I mean, we have a dereliction law in place for quite a long time, and that's not being fully enforced. So if that was enforced as a starting point, we could really start to, to see some changes happening. But if we look at Cork City, we still haven't got a full order of all the city buildings. So we yeah. don't know... That was going to be more... That was actually going to be one of, one of my questions to you, that the fact that we don't... It, it seems crazy at this stage that we don't have an official audit of exactly how many buildings are derelict, even in the well, city. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even at the weekend there when my partner and I were walking around, we noticed a few more buildings that we haven't included previously in our research, but like maybe dodgy roofs or bits of uh, uh, buildings just crumbling to the ground and a few other buildings were cordoned off as well. So a full audit would be a great start, you know, and if we knew exactly what we had in the city, we could also look at things like heritage value, the materials gone into them and stuff. So there's so much we could do with that. And that combined with implementing the election laws would really push things forward. Yeah, and, and at least then if we had an audit, you, you could start to formulate a plan. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the councils are supposed to have employed a vacant homes officer. Uh, we're not sure if they have someone in place at this stage, but they should have. That's supposed to be a full-time post, so that would be a great post to start to that for their position to look at this, do the audit. And I think it would restore confidence because what, what we're finding here on the ground in Cork is that people are getting more and more frustrated 
you know, disappointed, concerned. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people sort of, I mean, it comes up as a party is a joke, but a part of reality, the idea is you have to wear a hard hat walking around parts of the city, which is crazy in terms of if you want Cork to be a destination, if we want it really to be a city that thrives, you know, we need to tackle this and the order would be a great way to start, definitely. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I, I have huge, huge sympathies for people that have to live and work in areas that have a lot of derelict properties. It's just so unfair on them. Absolutely, they're paying their rates. They're, they're, you know, they've obviously all, they, they want. I mean, you don't want to walk down the street and be passing derelicts, and it's, it's, it affects your mental health. You know, it affects the well-being. You know, all kind of issues. You know, if tourists come to the city, what do they think? You know, visitors in terms of investment. There's so many reasons to, uh, to turn this around. But, I mean, if we go back to the basis of we need properties for homes and we need them urgently. We've seen it again the last few days. You know, there's no properties for, for, for people um, right across the country. In Cork, Jude and I, at the time with our research, we found over 700 within two kilometres of the city centre that were derelict. You know, and are, and are many of these, do, do many of these buildings, Frank, have the potential to house some of our homeless people? I think they do. What we found with the 700 plus, there was about 50% of them were homes. I mean, there was definitely, again, another 50% of those could be turned around quite quickly. So, yes, a lot of them, you know, could be turned around quickly. And I suppose, again, it raises other issues, as we both know. There are challenges at the moment in terms of uh, skills to, to work on a lot of these properties. But the trades people, yeah. Yeah, trades, yeah. And, and maybe understanding of some of the older buildings, for example, things like Lyme and stuff. But the most sustainable building is the existing one. And, um, you know, at the moment, if we have all the stock available, uh, it's more sustainable to take an old building and put it back into use and build some new. And we're in a kind of a climate crisis, resource crisis. So it all pushes towards restoring what we have. Yeah. And like, so if we start, do the audit, get the um, election laws in place, enforce them with the 7% levy, you know, get the vacant home officer actually going out there and actually mapping the the city for, for the council and then around that look at sort of other ways to get these properties back into use but obviously uh, the sooner the better we can't afford any more accidents I mean you know it's it's, it's I mean we've, we've only been here four years and the amount of times there's been an accident in the city with a building crumbling has been way way too often Yeah because, too the, because therein lies the problem the longer you leave a property derelict the more run down it becomes and the more danger then it becomes Absolutely, and vacancy is the gateway to derelicts. And, and, you know, so once the property's vacant for a while, then obviously it starts to decay. We all know that if the property's not being lived, then obviously it gets damped, you know, certain things start to go and stuff. So obviously if we can stop at the vacancy, you know, make sure that any vacant properties, you know, are not vacant for any long term, then going to extend to derelicts and decay. But also as well, you know, I mean, there's sort of a need, obviously, for um, for the council to be a lot more proactive to restore that confidence in the city and uh, to really start turning things around. I know they, they have the compulsory purchase order, which has been used for, for a number of properties, but certain properties by the council have been CPO'd for a number of years and they're still vacant. Yeah, because you know? uh, is, is that an ongoing problem, that, in defence of the council, is that an ongoing problem trying to find out who the owners are the, of the buildings are? And- If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm thinking in particular some of the older parts of, of the city and indeed our towns across the county. Is there an issue trying to find out who actually holds the title deeds? There is definitely. Again, that's another thing here we haven't restarted out. But also you can press on with CPO without knowing the owner. And what we found as well is a lot of the owners will turn up really quickly if a notice goes onto their property. So so that a lot of owners that haven't been found when you put a notice up to say this is going under the Derek Sites Register always will turn up so, but yeah that's again go back to the data we, we've, I mean in something in Ireland we seem to have a serious lack of data when it comes to property in particular so definitely that, that is an issue but you can walk your way around it and it shouldn't stop the process but also I think that local authorities in Cork and right across the country they need to be more proactive and pushing for other measures as well what other countries have done is they've looked at things like compulsory sales and compulsory rentals and so compulsory sales could be a good measure to look at derelict properties. So in other words, if a property is derelict for so many years, five, ten years, whatever, that compulsory um, sales could be a way forward to actually sell that property to someone who actually needs it and then they can do it up. And then compulsory rental is a useful measure for vacant properties. So you're not taking the property from the owner, you're actually just insisting that it is rented out in a time of need. You know, so there are other measures. There are solutions, there are solutions. And since you and your partner, uh, Jude, started highlighting uh, dereliction in the city, Frank, are you seeing any improvements? Well, there's definitely, the, the local tourists have definitely been more proactive. You know, there's definitely a lot more um, okay. sort of properties being registered and stuff. When we started, there was only 95 properties on the derelict site registered. There, there is more now. They're definitely being more proactive. But it's too slow. I mean, basically, it is too slow, you know. We should have no one on the streets in Ireland, you know. I mean, it's not like we don't have the housing. So, I mean, that's the 
key motivation for us is we want everyone to have a home. But also with that, like I said, you know, before um, before COVID came, a friend of us came over from the Netherlands because we lived in Amsterdam previously, and uh, they, they came over to Cork for the first time, and they were totally shocked, to be honest, Patricia. Walking through the city, the historic spine, we live up by Shandon Blackpool area, we walked them down Shandon Street, not Main Street, South Main Street, and they were just shocked. I mean, I suppose we were too walking along with them because they were spotting things we hadn't seen before. But if any other country in the world with the kind of stock of properties and the history and the heritage of Cork, we should be celebrating all this. You know, we should be really maintaining it, restoring it. It would be a wonderful destination. Cork has so much wonderful architectural heritage that's currently being wasted. So, so I think we need to... to I suppose, the local, I suppose the local authorities of the council, I mean, they're definitely their hands are tied, I guess, in certain situations. People will argue that they haven't got as big a budget that they should have. But we also have so many council-owned homes that are also boarded up by Patricia as well. So there's something wrong. The system seems to be broken at the moment. And really, we are in an emergency. Mm-hmm. Like President Higgins said, it's a housing disaster. We need to act far more urgently, you know. You know, we could turn around the city in terms of destination, in terms of the local economy, Built much better communities, but their election is helping no one. I mean, maybe owners are benefiting by sitting in the property for long term in terms of investment, their investments, but the wider community, the most of us don't benefit at all. And it is sad for people coming to Cork and seeing the levels of the gain to our election in such a wonderful historical city with such, with such beautiful people as well. I and mean, the reason we moved back to Cork, obviously, was we kind of fell in love with the character city and also how friendly the people are. Well said. They, well deserve, said. Better. they, they deserve so much yeah. better. And I, you know, I suppose it is frustrating, but we will, car- I suppose, Jude and I will carry on raising these issues for as long as we need to to ensure these changes happen. But obviously, um, I suppose my main concern at the moment, and I was quite upset last week, to be honest, was the fact that that building, that roof could have fallen on top of someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... That's, no, where it, that's where it becomes a threat to uh, public safety as well. Listen, keep flying the, the good flag here. Yourself and Jude are doing great. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning you. to you. That is uh, Frank O'Connor, who is an anti-dereliction campaigner in uh, Cork City. We need more people like Frank Hims and uh, Jude. They're terrific people. 0818 John Paul is uh, taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 at 2103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tomorrow, IRD Do Hollow in Newmarket will launch Cork County Council's 2022 Reuse Republic Exhibition. To discuss what people can expect at the event, I'm joined from Cork County Council by Michelle Green. And in just a moment from IRD to Hollow, I'll be chatting with uh, Colm O'Connor, who is the supervisor with the Real Love Paint and Furniture Upcycling Project. But uh, Michelle joins me from Cork County Council. Uh, good morning to you, Michelle. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I'm told this exhibition will showcase how individuals and communities are reducing and reusing. Can you give us an example of some of the initiatives that will go on display tomorrow? Yeah, I guess the the event, we really want to try and kind of empower people to kind of think about the actions they can take to, to bring reuse into their lives and reduce consumption levels. 
Um, so we've uh, Trisha Lewis um, from Trisha's Transformation will be, be a highlight on the day where she'll look at um, innovative ways and kind of looking at how you can reuse um, with leftovers and also when you're shopping and reducing waste generally in terms of making lists before you go shopping and just buying enough what you need. Uh, we'll also have um, a, 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 a highlight for community groups on the day will be um, a, the opportunity to win a water refill station whereby community groups, educational facilities and uh, sports clubs were inviting them to come along and to, to be in, an op- in with a chance to win um, a, a water refill station. I suppose single-use plastic is a huge issue generally, so we're trying to get people to think about carrying a water bottle um, and think about how they can bring that into their, their daily lives. And, and also another thing will be looking at fast fashion and the impact that fast fashion has on the environment generally. So we'll have a clothes swap shop so people can bring up to five items of clothing um, and they can kind of swap them on the day oh, for, for other items. That's cool. So <laughs> we're kind of trying to, trying to look at different kind of ways um, people can really kind of look at their own consumption habits. So I suppose we're, we're all well aware that consumption can have a huge, our consumption habits, I suppose, in Ireland and globally have a huge impact on the environment. So we're really just trying to get people to think about ways that they can kind of bring reuse and kind of reduce their consumption habits by making kind of simple changes in their lives. So like, I suppose, individual small actions really matter. Well, that's what it's about. It's, It's about us all doing our little bit. Yeah, absolutely. From simple things to carrying a water bottle or you know, a reusable coffee cup or sitting down to have the cup of coffee instead of always taking the, the, the disposable option yeah. and thinking and about our fashion yeah, choices. Yeah, when you're going out to buy something new to wear at the weekend, do you really need to buy something new or have you something in the wardrobe that you could you could Absolutely. use? Absolutely, yeah. and when you're making fashion choices that you're thinking about um, sustainable fashion choices, so you're thinking about the longevity of an item and how many wears I'm going to get something. I suppose the fast fashion industry is just huge Massive. and its impact on the environment is just um, is incredible. So I suppose that this, this, the event is, um, we have a series of exhibitors. We have about 16 different kind of um, eco-businesses and various reuse initiatives that will be there to talk to people throughout the day and give them ideas, of, examples of way they can bring this into their life. But also then we have a great kind of exciting series of workshops. There's about seven different workshops ranging from, as I said, Trisha with the Trisha Lewis and the food, from composting to eliminating single-use plastic to fast fashion to upcycling furniture, tips from IRD to Hallow and the Real Love Pain project, which we talked to you about which before. You, so and, and we're going to talk about again in just a yeah. moment. Who are you hoping will attend tomorrow, Michelle? Well, I suppose there's kind of something there for everybody because I the people um, see the agenda like if you're interested in furniture upcycling or we also have a really interesting workshop for the early years setting. So we have people from, I guess, preschools or creches kind of looking at creativity on a shoestring. The Recreate is a really interesting organisation in Dublin, Social Enterprise. They have a, a warehouse of all these end-of-line materials that would have other have gone to waste from kind of production companies. And um, early years settings can 
avail of their materials, but it's not just about getting the materials for arts and crafts. It's also about, you know, instead of gluing them all together and then throwing them in the bin, it's kind of trying to do a workshop with them. How do you get longevity out of these items and reuse them on a regular basis in, in, the, art, in the early year setting where arts and crafts and play is so important? Okay. All so, right. Lots, and, and certainly there's, there, there, there's lots happening tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and just let me bring in uh, Colm O'Connor, who is the supervisor with IRD, Joe Hollow's uh, Real Love Paint. Uh, good morning, Chicago. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Just remind listeners about the, the, the Real Love Paint Initiative. Yeah, so I suppose Real Love Paint Initiative was part, uh, I spoke to I suppose last May, I think actually, about this when we were kicking it off. Um, so we played a part with Cork County Council. Uh, so we have our um, uh, revamp furniture um, social enterprise here in IRT Duhalo. So we added to it by bringing a Real Love Furniture, so our Real Love Paint, sorry. So um, we Real Love Paint is used where we collect paint from civic community sites. We're actually collecting now from Mill Street and Kentuck and soon hope to be collecting from McCroom. So there's 190 tonne of paint per year inside in the civic community sites all over County Cork, where 60% of that can be reused. And so what we did um, with Michelle and, and the crew inside the County Council Environmental Office was we set up our workshop here and we, we remixed it, repurposed it and we sell the paint here um, under the brand Real Love Paint. And is it so, selling well? So since our inception, we say we have 2.2 2, 2. 2 tonne taken out of, of paint, taken out of the two um, amenity sites. Right. And out of that, we have 800 litres of it sold to the public. That's incredible. That's incredible. So and of course, it's a reminder. Paint, thank God. So it's, it's a high quality product, you know, at a, at, a good, at a good price. Yeah, and it's a reminder to everybody because we all end up buying tins of paint uh, and then there's a, a half a tin left, a quarter of a tin left. Drop it off to your civic community site. Do not put it in for landfill. No, and drop it after a civic community site. And it's there where we, where we collected with the weave arrangements with Cork County Council um, to do that or whatever, you know. So other than that, I suppose really we're delighted to be involved with this um, also with Cork County Council. We have been involved, I suppose, over the years um, with trying lowering the carbon footprint in our locality through both revamp and also to a warmer home scheme where we made, where low-income households could have availed of uh, of their um, stuff and also made it a uh, making uh, fuel making it uh, lowering their fuel fuel um, bills and lowering their electricity bills for low-income households. So I suppose um, through insulation in their houses, um, like in our furniture revamp, I suppose we have I think about um, two hundred um, ton of two hundred and twenty ton of furniture diverted from landfill. So, you know, I mean, that's a big, big ask as it's well. That's a huge and amount. That's a huge amount. And would you amount, be, yeah. well, we, I'm assuming you'll be taking part in the exhibition tomorrow, will you? We are. We yeah. are involved in the organisation of it and we also have a workshop um, going on at 2.30. So, my colleague Jessica Barron will be doing uh, tips on furniture and upcycling with Reload Paint. So, she'll actually be painting with the Reload Paint, for painting furniture on the day that's happening at 2.30 tomorrow. Okay. Also, we will have, um, we'll be exhibiting as well also on the day. Okay, and, and Michelle, you know, with cost of living uh, crisis, we're, we're not only saving the planet, but you can also save money by reusing and recycling, can't we, Michelle? Absolutely. I mean, it makes complete sense from whether an economic point of view or an environmental point of view. 
So um, we really hope that this event will really kind of give people ideas and, and make them stop and think because I think we all know that we're consuming too much and obviously consumption costs a lot of money and, you know, particularly in this climate. But it's just to stop and think about what we're doing and whether it's being, you know, upcycling a piece of furniture instead of discarding it if you want to change. As I said, bringing that water bottle, reusable coffee cup, um, it's just simple changes that you can make in your life. So I suppose, but we really want this event just to give people ideas and kind of inspire them to take action and make them realise that individual action really matters. Okay, James O'Keefe Institute in Newmarket tomorrow from 2pm. Do people need to register to attend? Yeah, ideally we'd like them just to get a sense of numbers, but people are welcome to come on the day as well. All the details are on our Facebook page and it's at Cork Coco and Biro. Or if, if people have any queries, they can email us at eao at corkcoco.ie. Okay, listen, good luck with it tomorrow. I hope you have a really busy, busy afternoon. And thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. Yep. Thanks very much. Thanks Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Michelle Green from Cork County Council and from IRD Duhalo, uh, Cullum o- O'Connor in advance of that event in the James O'Keefe Institute in Newmarket tomorrow from 2. Open to all. Now, some of your calls and comments that have been coming into the programme, some with queries. Where's this query in from John in uh, Blackpool who uh, wants uh, a little bit of, of, of advice on behalf of his sister. Uh, John says, my sister and her husband both in their 80s. Her husband was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a few years ago and unfortunately he's now living in a nursing home and has been for the last uh, few weeks. John is wondering, is his sister, now that she's living alone, entitled to the living alone uh, allowance? I would imagine she is because I'm assuming her husband now has moved full-time into the nursing home. John, what I would suggest you do is get your sister to ring the Citizens Information Centre who are the most fantastic bunch of people. Not only will they be able to tell her straight out yes or no if she's entitled to it or not, they'll also be able to help her if she needs help, for example, with filling in the forms, etc. They are absolutely fantastic uh, for that. So just get on to the local citizen information. But my gut would tell me, yeah, I mean, because she is living alone. Her husband now has moved into a nursing home, so I would imagine, yes, she would be entitled to the living alone allowance. But as we always say with any of those allowances, if if you think you're entitled to it, fill in the forms and, and check it out you know that's what we've been saying and actually we mentioned earlier or we touched on it well it was Frank from Alone touched on it when we were talking about the fuel allowance and over the years we would have heard from many people who had applied for a fuel allowance and they might have been because they had a pension a private pension on top of their state pension not no, not a very elaborate private pension but it was just pushing them over the limit for the fuel, fuel allowance there's been changes introduced in the budget but they don't come in until the 1st of uh, January and I just want to clear that up because when I was when Frank was talking about it on a loan from a loan he was saying today to people if you've been turned down for the fuel allowance in the, in the past because of the new system that's putting in place to reapply and absolutely 100% you can do that but there's no point applying until after the 1st of January because the new income threshold doesn't kick in until the 1st of January for example for somebody over the age of 70 it's currently 100 and if they are earning more than 120 euro or they get more than 120 euro in a private pension a week then they're not entitled to the fuel allowance but come the 1st of January that number jumps from 120 to 500 euro which is a huge huge rise and it does mean they reckon about 80,000 people who had been turned down in the past for fuel allowance will now be entitled to it but you can't apply for it until the 
1st of January and we will remind people again coming uh, once we come back in in the new year after Christmas we, we will be reminding people uh, to apply but it's the same with the living alone uh, allowance I certainly John would think your sister is entitled to it 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. We are looking for questions for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist. Annalise will join us after after half past 12 answering all of your nutritional questions so you can get those in by calling John Paul or by texting or WhatsApping me. We'll take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way and we'll take a look at some of your calls and comments that will be coming in throughout the morning. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to cmig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, lots of commentary coming into the programme this morning. Let me get to some of them. Uh, two of them kind of tie in together. They're, they're to do with public toilets and uh, hygiene issues, I suppose, more than anything. I first see a message in from a listener to say, Patricia, my husband told me he saw an elderly man urinating in a public car park in Fomoy. There was lots of people around witnessing it. It happened last Thursday morning, which is a very busy morning in the town of Fomoy. You'd nearly expect it from a youngster. In fairness, the young ones would have more cop on than to do that. What was wrong with this uh, elderly man? Um, Where where has respect gone? And there are public toilets available in Fomoy, so I can't understand why the elderly man was short taken. But to actually decide to in a public car park in front of a lot of people seems really bizarre indeed and then that ties in with Pat who uh, contacted us uh, about an issue to do with public toilets and funnily enough it's to do with Formoy and Pat says it there it's an issue that he reckons it no, it affects men, but he reckons it probably affects women even more, particularly women going into a public toilet if you're wearing a coat and you have a handbag or maybe a shopping bag with you. Pat says there are no hooks on the inside of the doors in the public toilets in uh, in Formoy. Now, he's sure that this is a problem in many public toilets. It isn't just in Formoy, uh, but he's also discovered that the council have no plans to install these hooks on the doors and he's wondering if others notice that when they're out and about, maybe in shopping centres or across Cork city and county are indeed anywhere else around the country when you go into a public toilet there's no hook to hang up for the ladies to hang up a handbag or if you want to take your coat off and then we spotted in the Avenue uh, newspaper uh, uh, Katie Galvin is writing about this issue also on exactly what Pat is saying about the hygiene concerns on the fact that there are a lack of coat hooks provided within the public toilets in Formoy. It was noticed recently as a customer toilet in a local supermarket also had no coat hooks for customers when using the facility. Generally coat hooks are provided on the back of a cubicle door which as I say allows you to hang up your handbag, shopping bags and keep everything off the ground bearing in mind you're in a public toilet. The public toilets located on Ash Key in Formoy do not have hooks on any of the three toilets there meaning the users going in have to leave their items on the ground that obviously increases the risk of bacteria being uh, spread and Katie Galvin from the Avenue 
got on to Cork County Council um, and, or sorry, she says speaking with the Avenue, one member of the public noted that the hygiene can, uh, of these hy- hygiene concerns, but when the Avenue contact Cork County Council they say there are currently no plans to install coat hooks on the back of cubicle doors in the town's public toilets. Are other people concerned about that? There's something now I'm going to note whenever I go into a public toilet I'll be looking out for the hook on the back of the door and I can't, maybe I don't use public toilets that often, I'm trying to think when I was last or in a supermarket or then needed to go in and use a public toilet because if you I would always hang up a bag certainly for sure so as we're coming into the winter months would you be taking the, you wouldn't have the coats on so much in the summer months but maybe in the winter months anyway is that upsetting other people let us know 0818 103 103 now since we started the programme this morning can I say I've had a huge amount of commentary in to do with the Ukrainian refugees and particularly with regard to when I started the programme this morning by mentioning that literally now there is no room at the inn anymore and the news this weekend that I think it was over 40 uh, refugees Ukrainians and refugees coming from other countries when they arrived into Dublin uh, airport there was no accommodation for them the back end of last week the government did warn the Ukrainian embassy that they knew by the weekend they were going to run out of emergency accommodation and it happened in total 43 people fleeing the war in Ukraine were not offered emergency beds when they arrived at the weekend. There's some stories in now many of them went back to Dublin airport and slept in the airport but there were reports in the papers of some actually sleeping rough. Now We've been inundated with people saying we're a small country, we don't have room, why are we still allowing Ukrainian refugees and other people seeking international protection, asylum seekers, why are we still allowing them to arrive in uh, Ireland? But I just there's just too many of the texts because if I was reading them out, they're all making a similar point. It's kind of summed up by John in the city who's contacted us on this uh, issue. Good afternoon to you, John. Hi, Patricia, how are you? you I'm very well, thank you. You feel we're full. Is that what oh, you were saying? I'm sorry, Luke, but I mean, look, I mean, if you were taking people into your own house, and what I was taking people to my house, eventually, like, for whatever reason, they would be coming to stay with you. I mean, there's only so many bedrooms, there's only so much space in any house, right? And eventually you'd have to say, look, that's it. My house is full, I can't help out anymore. My friends, if they're in trouble or whatever. It's the same scenario here. And I think what happened with the Ukrainian ambassador, I think, has completely, Patricia, inflamed the situation, or must be raising the Irish government. And therefore, by be raising the Irish government, the ambassador be raising you, me, all your huge listenership out there, and everyone in Ireland in this country who have been very generous with their time and, and, and giving full parcels and giving clothes and helping any way they can. And for the Ukrainian ambassador to be raised, the Irish people, because that's what the ambassador did. Once they berated the government, you're berating the Irish people. Well, she said it was totally unacceptable and she did say, because we are worrying about our people, she did clearly say that she felt it was unacceptable because she's worried about the Ukrainian people. Yeah, but she, she didn't need to go public on it. No, no the thing is, I made 20 phone calls this morning to the Ukrainian embassy and the phone wasn't answered once. So it's obviously they're they're getting a lot of heat on the back of what she said, that they are now not answering the phone because 20 times I rang this morning at Orchard Research or John Paul there and 20 times the phone wasn't answered. Now at the moment, the modular homes that are penciled in from Mahon down to the south side of Cork. Yeah. A buddy of mine was passing this morning and there was a group gathering 
And he said it looked like you could end up in a large group like of local people protesting against this. They said enough is enough. Our own are not being housed. We don't know who's coming into the area. Um, there are no males coming in as well. And people are worried about the males coming in. They're the minor women and children. But they're just worried at this stage now. And it's also, I mean, you can see, it's just not the Ukrainians that come in either, no, Patricia. There's 14,000 people have come in from other jurisdictions, like Georgia and places like that, and they end up with no documentation. Like, if I walked up to Shannon Airport this morning, and I went up to the, sec- the American security, do you think I would be left on the plane for New York? Well, no I, I, don't know, I don't know if you heard me at the top of the programme. I was digging around at the weekend trying to get information on the numbers who are coming here seeking asylum, international uh, protection. And I was shocked by the figure that in the first six months of this year, 40% of the people who arrived into Dublin airport arrived without any travel documents. It was nearly 3,000 people. They weren't able to produce travel documents documents when they went through the airport. Now, you cannot get on to no. an international flight no. unless you show a travel document, i.e. your passport. No. That meant between leaving whatever country they boarded the plane and arriving to passport control, they either lost or destroyed their documentation. Now, what's is, that, what is that all about? Well, it is obviously, like, I mean, that they're destroying them, whether they're bombing them in the toilets or whatever, but they're definitely destroying them, right? But, I mean... Like you try and get into New Zealand, Australia, the Canada, America, oh, forget it. and there's no way. So you, you watch that tele- that border con- that border control. You know that program yep, from Australia. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. By God, are they quick to deport somebody? I mean, literally, they're back on the next... They don't leave the airport. They're back oh, no, on the no, next you, plane. You know, you're, you're brought into a side office or whatever. You're interrogated the whole lot and you will stay there and you will be gone back to where you came from. You won't, Your feet won't touch outside of the airport. And I mean, like, look, just look, this whole problem is... This is why people are getting nervous now, Patricia. We don't know who's coming in now. There's no documentation. We don't know who's right, who's wrong, who's a criminal, who's not a criminal... And people are getting worried, and rightly so. We've done more than we could now, but I'm sorry, the sign needs to work. And still at this late stage in the day, Michal Martin and the Tarnisha Leverakka and the Simon Coven, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, will not utter the words, we're closed, we're full, we can't, we've done our best. They are not saying that, and by not saying that, they're betraying the Irish people. The trust of the Irish people has been betrayed. But whatever, well, with the, with the Ukrainian refugees will be governed by membership of the EU. We were told at the start it will be per per head of population how many we would take. That's where that figure, well, it depends on how many people are going to leave the Ukraine and then it was going to be broken down per country. That's where the 100,000 figure came in. But when it comes to asylum seekers, you know, the UN says the right to seek asylum is a funda- fundamental human right. Are we caught in that we can't, if somebody turns up into this country claiming I'm seeking asylum, are we legally obliged to take that person in and process them? Well, you see, the trouble is Patricia, like if you have no documentation, you can't prove like where you've come from or whatever, like you mean the likes are coming from Georgia and places like that. I mean, there's loads of places, I mean, they could seek asylum before they get here. But unfortunately, I think just like 2002, we had the problem as well before Michael McDowell, the minister at the time, addressed us. I think the world has gone out there now, get to Ireland and get there now because... We're a soft touch. 
Yeah, I think so, and I, I, and that's not fair to the other people. And I, I'm sorry, like, but we are not being looked after by our own government. Like and it's also, eat. John, not fair to the genuine asylum seekers and to the genuine people from Ukraine who fled for their lives. It's it's not fair on them either. And I'm also interested to see. I mean, we've seen an increase in people coming trying to seek asylum, a massive increase in numbers. Now, some of that could be due to what happened in the UK with Boris Johnson telling them they'd have to go to Rwanda. They suddenly didn't want to go to Rwanda, so they'll come to Ireland instead. But I also read earlier today that other EU countries have significantly tightened their entry requirements. So if other EU countries can significantly tighten their their entry requirements, it means they're doing it by under EU law, then why can't we do the same thing? But for the simple reason, there's grandstanding going on by the likes of Michal Martin, Varadkar and Kovney. And as I said, I keep using the words, they're betraying the trust of the Irish people. They're letting the Irish people down big time. So you would say, we, we tell the Ukrainians via their embassy, like we did, we, she was told last week to let people in Ukraine know, but her argument was people had already booked flights. But you're saying now, no more. No more. And another thing, we were told, I mean, that men of a certain age were told just not to leave the country, to stay and fight. And yet we have men coming here now from the Ukraine, right? Like, I'm, I mean, I don't have to give a history lesson here, live in here. But like, Padre Pierce didn't run away. Joseph Mary Plunkett didn't run away. James Connolly didn't run away. They stayed and fought for their country, right? So why are young men of fighting age coming over here? Yeah, actually, that was another... Because last week I was doing the statistics on the amount of women and children that were in this country. But in recent weeks, there has now been... There's 39% of the arrivals are males. The only thing that I would... in, in I'm always trying to see the good in people. Are they just scared, John? Are they just scared of going to war? And they just got out. Well, the thing is, as I said, they came here just listed all over. I know, I know. They didn't run away. But what I can see is happening now, and it's kicked off this morning below in Mahan, right? I think, I think the pushback is starting now. I think the people have had enough. I, I don't know how many people. I meet people on a daily basis, and they, this is the only thing they're talking about. Like I know. I'm, we're, we're, listen, happening? John, I could literally every day fill the programme by just reading out texts and emails in from people. Who are, who are all, and like, they're, 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 these are not people, that, they, these are not racist people. These are people no. who will give, and we are a generous, generous nation. But there is this sense of... There isn't any room at the inn. We, we can, not, we've yeah, done, yeah. and as one person earlier sent in a great text saying 60,000 people have been accommodated in a very small country. We should be yeah. patting ourselves on the back saying we have done fantastically. But is the time, have we come to the stage where that's it, we can't well, do anymore? And, and, and enough is enough. And the trouble is that yeah. you're getting it in, in reams and texts and messages in, right? I'm here in the streets. My friends are here relaying it back to me. The Irish people are questioning it. But the problem is, Patricia, the people that should be listening to the Irish people, which is the people in government who have just listed, are not listening. Whereas they are having a meeting to try to come up with solutions and change the emergency strategy into medium and long-term solutions. And they're now going to start putting pressure on local authorities to identify uh, vacant properties. And a listener in West Cork is, is making the point also about... Uh, and like nobody takes from somebody fleeing a war and you want to see people safe. But West Cork List is making the same point as you, John. Our country is full and is making the point the pressure we're putting onto our, our schools with the teachers, yeah, teachers dealing tremendous. with children 
children yeah. who's, who, let's be honest, English isn't their first language. I, mm-hmm. I ran to the canteen to make a cup of coffee when the news was on at 12 and I heard Barry talking about CUH full again. And it yeah. struck me straight away. If we're bringing all these extra people in, our health system isn't going to be able to take it. I mean, it's all like you overstretch completely. Like, I mean, the CUH is busting at the seams outside. We still haven't got the new hospital. The site isn't even uh, got yet to build a new hospital. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I just At this stage, I think people are in despair. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough, and it's tough when you what what have we ten thousand plus people, our own people living in emergency accommodation, living in 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 hotels. Yeah, I know a friend of mine know that he was seventeen years renting a house himself and his wife, like you may know, and they were last Friday they they were evicted. Seventeen years. Seventeen years. The landlord said he wanted the house back, like you mean, and they were evicted out in the street, and he's nowhere to go. No, he's sleeping in his mother's coach. I don't know where his wife is sleeping. But I mean, like, I mean, who's looking after him? My God. It's disgrace. And this is what's feeding into the... the well, I didn't, never wanted it to happen. I didn't want to say, turn this into a, a racial thing. I know. That's, would, it's would, always, yeah. that's why I've always tempered when I'm yeah. reading out texts. And that's why some yeah. of the texts I don't read out because I'm thinking... Because yeah. oh, yeah. the last thing you want is a hate camp because it's not the Ukrainians' fault. It is not no. their fault. But that's the problem, though. You yeah. see, Patricia, that I just told me, no, and I put, yeah. I, I put the blame... Fairly and squarely, as I said, the ambassador has completely inflamed the situation. But Michal Martin and Leo Valatkin say McCormley are definitely not helping. Okay. All right, let's see what comes out of this Cabinet uh, Committee that's meeting today, thanks, uh, John. But thanks, and thanks for joining us. That is uh, John O'Donovan joining us in the city. As I say, really summing up the bulk of what people are saying by a text and by calls uh, today just simply can't get uh, to all of them. But uh, as I say, I really don't want this to turn into where there's a, almost a hate campaign against people who have come to our shores seeking refuge because they are fleeing war. Uh, nobody wants to be in a situation where you've got to leave, you know, the clothes on your back, where you can get into a bag and uh, flee. And there's been, at the start of this whole situation back in uh, February, March, there's been such an outpouring of love and support for the Ukrainians as there should be. But we're just getting to the situation where we are at bursting uh, point. Uh, will we ever... If we, well, of course, what we more, what we need more than anything is we need an end to the war. We need the Putin. I was nearly going to say a swear, swear word there, but it didn't. Uh, we need it to stop. We need the war to stop and life to get back to some kind of normality, so that, that the Ukrainians who don't want to be here, the majority of them want to be back at home. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to oh eight six two. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Donnerill Active Retirement uh, Group are meeting this afternoon. It's in the Presentation Pastoral Centre, 3 o'clock. Arts and Crafts Group will start at 2 before the meeting. All are welcome. And the Book Club, by the way, will meet on Saturday, the 19th of November. Bingo is on in the GAA Hall in Botman tonight, 8 o'clock the jackpot €6,000. 50-50 envelopes are also on sale outside Buttevant Post Office every Friday morning. And there's bingo in Shambally Moor Community Centre, but that's tomorrow night at 8 with a jackpot of €3,000. And Knock Degree Community Development Group CLG are presenting a fashion show next Thursday, half past seven in Rathmore Community Centre. I invite you to come along and enjoy the night with lots of fun and spa prizes. 
For tickets, you can contact Maraid on 087 642 7520. And Dukas Clonakilty Heritage will host Dr. Jenny Butler via Zoom next Thursday, 8 o'clock, giving an overview of traditional celebrations for Halloween. You can see Dukas Clonakilty Heritage Facebook page for more details. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Keep your questions coming in, please, for Annalise Drisella, nutrition and therapist. Uh, before we go to Annalise, just a couple of texts in to give a mention and a shout out to Jim says, Patricia, can you please congratulate St. Peter's Ladies football team from Rock Chapel and Whelan, who Bentley schooled in the County Junior D final. And can you wish Sarah Jane Joy a speedy recovery from a leg injury and also to a schooled player who was concussed Oh, bless her heart, during the match. I was actually waiting on an ambulance, uh, Jim says, when the game was over. Uh, he hopes that she is OK and that she makes a full recovery. But congratulations to St. Peter's Ladies football team from Rock Chapel and Mwilin on winning the County Junior B final. And also, Patricia, say well done to Kenturk Football Club, who won the final in Cork yesterday. That's coming in from a Kenturk fan. Someone else says, Patricia, tell people, don't be so quick to judge that elderly man who was spotted urinating in the public car park in Formoy last Thursday morning. Nobody knows that he might have a complaint. He might be suffering from something and that he'd no other choice but to go to the toilet in uh, public. Uh, well, yeah, you would, li- you would like to think he didn't deliberately just decide to urinate in front of a lot of people. But that can be upsetting, even if it was a complaint. It can be upsetting for other people to have to watch it as well. I think that was the thrust of the comment that came in from somebody that were just quite uh, shocked by it. On the listener then who says, do we all need to cut our cloth to our measure this Christmas and do we need to cut back on the excesses of the festive season? Sheila says, Patricia, um, to get a cheaper Christmas this year, people should be telling their children that because there are so many Ukrainian refugees now in this country, that Santa this year is going to have to share out all of those presents a little bit uh, thinly. Children who are young enough for Santa Claus will be able to accept that as an explanation so it might be something that families could use this year to stop their children looking for absolutely uh, everything and then on the whole thing of saving and that somebody wants to know Patricia this is Mike and Bantry do you remember the stamps you used to be able to buy in the post office before that you could save do they do those anymore I don't the stamps the ones I'm thinking of were the ones that the children used to buy remember you could buy saving stamps I remember as a child having the book of the saving stamps and you'd cash them in at uh, Christmas I'm sure they're gone the, the, the stamps I do know that are still there are the TV license stamps that you can buy and a lot of people do that they buy you know maybe every week if they're going in to pick up uh, social welfare I remember my good mother Lorty Marcina she'd be going in to collect her widow's pension and she'd always buy the stamp for the TV licence but that was back in the day when they were a pound and I think the TV licence at the time was around £50 so she'd have enough for the year whereas it's 160 now I think they're a fiver stamp now or they're not I do know they're still on sale but I don't think stamps for saving are still there credit unions used to do stamps as well to get children into the habit of saving but I don't think but listen put it out there Mike you never know I don't, I don't think 
think they are you can go into the post office and open up a post office account and put your bit in every week if you want and save that way but I don't think there are actually uh, stamps 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls so give your questions now for Annalise please or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. When somebody was asking, were saving stamps still available in the post office? And I was saying, I, and I checked online and I couldn't see anything online. So I thought maybe they were gone. Number of people saying, no, you can still buy saving stamps in the post office. Somebody said you can get two euro ones. And somebody else said one euro ones. And when I mentioned the TV license ones that, that you buy, so and, and I was making, a, I made the point that a lot of people, if they're picking up a social welfare payment, might go in and buy a TV, a stamp for the TV license and get it every week. Somebody says, Patricia, just to let you know, working people also buy those TV licence stamps. It isn't just for people on social welfare. Absolutely, uh, it's not. But you can buy uh, stamps for saving, which I didn't realise. Somebody says, hi Patricia, they are still there. They're great. Uh, Two euro for the stamp. And when your card is full, it's worth 20 uh, euro. It is a great way to save, particularly if you're saving up for things like Christmas or a special occasion. Okay, thank you for that. And my apologies. I didn't realise it was still available. As I say, I did a quick look online but I just couldn't see anything. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joining us. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And you are very welcome. Lots and lots of uh, questions in. Let me start with, hi, Annalise. Would Annalise recommend Nature's Plus menopause support? I'm of menopausal age, but I don't have any major symptoms. But my biggest problem is feeling anxious to the point that I actually get sick. I can go to bed, fall asleep and wake three hours later with that same anxiousness. Uh, it's like a bored feeling, but I can actually get up and start my day feeling really, really anxious. And I'm wondering, is that linked to, because I'm the menopausal age? Definitely, Patricia. Um, it's definitely, I see this a lot. In fact, I had it a bit myself, um, so I know how it feels. It didn't get too bad for me, thankfully, but it's a very common symptom for uh, customers. And you wouldn't believe how many of my customers are coming in on antidepressants because of that anxiety and really they should have just been given HRT. So I find one of the best things for that menopausal anxiety is a higher dose of vitamin B6. You want about 50 milligrams and we love here the BioCare P5P. It's a particular form of that. um, It's pyridoxal 5-phosphate. It's a particular very good absorbed form of that um, vitamin B6 in the high dose and there's a bit of magnesium in it as well so that's a lovely one to try it's great for people as well Patricia a lot of people will get that anxiety coming up to their periods so it's a great one for PMT even teenagers can take it uh, for PMT before they get their periods and in terms of the, the Nature's Plus menopause support that is a nice one there are probably ones that are we find get better results and the one that we love the best is the Nutri-Advanced Mega Mag Perimenopause Support. It has got a lot of stuff in there for the anxiety. It's got ashwagandha, 
rhodiola, it's got the vitamin B6, it's got the high dose of magnesium and then it has the plant isoflavones that will support your own dropping hormone levels as well. So that could be a good one if the anxiety is very bad to take for a couple of months and then when you feel that you've gotten yourself into a good place you could maybe try and maintain it with the BioCare P5P, that, that high dose B6 just on its own. Rose in Ballydehab has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes but she also is getting what she describes as numbness and discomfort in her big toes. She is on a blood thinner and wondering any remedies. Is it linked, is it linked to the diabetes? It is definitely. Yeah. It is one of the big signs of diabetic um, neuropathy which means that elevated levels of blood sugars have actually damaged the very delicate small proteins in the capillaries of the toes and it would be a very common side effect of diabetes along with cataracts in the long term. So generally um, it's about protection Patricia if you are diagnosed with diabetes taking something like alpha lipoic acid is very good to sort of protect all of those membranes from damage. Um, if they've been damaged you could try something like homeop and actually sorry the alpha lipoic acid is safe with diabetic medication and it's safe with your blood thinner medication as well. If there is nerve damage, you could try a homeopathic remedy called Hypericum. I sometimes recommend this as well for people who've got that um, nerve damage from shingles that creates that terrible nerve pain that you can have recurrent nerve pain after shingles. It's a hit and miss one, Patricia. It doesn't work for everybody, but you might get some relief from that. And it is also very, very important that you make sure your circulation is good. Now, the omega-3 fats are great for that. They're the ones, the fats and oils that you get in fish oils. But they do thin the blood. So if you are taking a blood thinner, you should mention it to your doctor that you'd like to take fish oil just so that he's aware of it in case uh, you would start to bruise a little bit too easily. It would be uh, too much then with on top of the blood thinner. Mary, would Annalise have any cure for an irritable scalp? So I suppose it means maybe an itchy scalp, Patricia. Um, So itchy scalp can either be two things. Normally, um, it's generally a type of fungal dandruff that creates it. Um, And anti-dandruff shampoos will help to control it um, while you're using the shampoo, but it doesn't always have a good handle on it. So um, I love the grapefruit seed extract for that because it can be added into any shampoo. It comes from, obviously, the seed of the grapefruit, and it's a very powerful antifungal. So you can actually rub it into your... Put a couple of drops into some warm water, rub it into your scalp and let it sit there for about 20 minutes and then wash your hair as normal. And then once you've got that itch or that irritation under control, you can just add it into your shampoo when you're washing your hair in the shower. You don't need to leave it sit in the scalp. The second thing that it can be is it might be that you're allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a foaming agent that you find in most shampoos. So finding um, a shampoo without sodium lauryl sulfate. Most of the ones in the health shop don't have that. I have like a few different brands here, Avalon, Faith in Nature, the Sukin range. None of those have those um, chemicals in there and they tend to be better for people with itchy or irritated scalp. Okay, email in from Anne to say, could you please ask Annalise, what supplements would Annalise recommend for an 18-year-old girl with psoriatic arthritis? It's causing huge amount of pain, particularly in her hands and her fingers. So that's a very 
the million dollar question, Patricia. Yeah. So generally what happens in these cases is you, you, you work with the person, not with the problem. So psoriatic arthritis is actually an autoimmune disease. So like psoriasis itself, it's an autoimmune disease. So the body, the immune system itself is causing the problem. So just generally as a kind of a standard for people who have got autoimmune disease where the body is attacking itself, you have to look to see where the triggers are in the immune system. I find a lot of the time food intolerance is the issue. So people are eating foods that are affecting the immune system. Another reason a lot of people develop it after a virus like glandular fever, any kind of Epstein-Barr virus. And actually COVID seems to be also triggering a lot of autoimmune diseases. So it's about supporting the immune system and trying to bring the immune system into balance. And of course, natural anti-inflammatory. So you're looking at turmeric and boswellia as your natural anti-inflammatories. And you're looking at a very high strength fish oil um, a very, with a lot of omega-3 fats in there. That can help with immune modulation. And then, of course, to see are there any triggers. So if it's been a viral trigger, something like virese, which is a very powerful antiviral olive leaf extract, is another lovely one as well. Um, sometimes the mushrooms, Patricia, are great for anything autoimmune. Cordyceps and reishi, they're both wonderful mushrooms and have been used in Chinese medicine for thousands upon thousands of years. And they're great for kind of a balance of the immune system. So it helps with the virus bacteria side of the immune system, but it tends to modulate and bring down an overactive immune system if it's also if it's an autoimmune thing. Okay, now I can, some people are going to be jealous when they hear that this is a problem for this person, but a listener wants to know, is 10 hours sleep too much for a 54-year-old? I've heard getting too much sleep can be as bad as too little. Would Annalise have an opinion on that? Somebody who's lucky enough to get 10 solid hours sleep a night? I think, you know what, Patricia, everybody is very different. Yeah. Some people can function on very little. I think anything between seven and nine is probably good. If you wake up and you feel refreshed and you have great energy throughout the day and your immune system is good, then 10 hours is not doing you any harm for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably worse to get less hours sleep because when we're asleep, actually, our immune system is very, um, it's, it's very good for our immune system. It actually patrols the body and takes a look to see are there any cells that are misbehaving, potential cancer, cells. It gets rid of any cells that aren't performing efficiently, so it kind of calls all the underperforming cells. So it's basically like a really good spring clean at night time when you're asleep. Mm. Um, so that's why it's so important and it, it resets in terms of your hunger hormones and we all know ourselves if you have a good night's sleep you can take off you the feel following yeah. day. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. A lot of people will feel jealous that somebody's getting 10, 10 good hours sleep uh, a night. And somebody else says, question for Annalise, is there anything that you could recommend men to help with the receding hairline? That's genetics, isn't it? It is really, Patricia, yeah. I know. Um, and really there is very little. Um, some people might find that Norcrin can help for men. It does help cells that have gone into dormant sort of non-growing mode. It can help them kickstart back into growth mode. So that's called N-O-U-R-K-R-I-N. So you could you could try that. But there is actually a prescription-based one that you can get called Rogaine. I think it's spelled R-O-G-A-I-N-E. Um, you can, I think you can buy it over the counter in the pharmacy, but the really good stuff you definitely need on prescription. And that definitely works for men that where it's a genetic thinning hairline. It can prolong it, but unfortunately it's, it's, you know, it's only a matter of slowing it down. It won't stop it altogether. Um, Eileen wants to know, any recommendation for psoriasis on the eyelid? Fairly sore and fairly red at the moment, just on the oh. eyelid. 
Yeah, and you have to be very careful, of course, what you put onto your eyes. The Oregon grape root balm could work very well for that. Um, I, I do have a couple of customers who come in, they just have small patches of psoriasis, and that manages to keep it under control nicely. It's uh, Viridian is the company that make it, um, and it's from the, the root of the Oregon grape plant. Um, so that is a very powerful anti-inflammatory for the eye. You could try, if you can't get your hands on that, the Dr. Claire, D, um, the Delish Claire Healing Cream is always a really nice one and I'm always amazed people come in having tried it on this stubborn thing or that stubborn thing and it seems to work for all so you could try that um and again, maybe even just um, another thing, actually, black seed oil has become quite popular. And I've been recommending it a little bit for people with eczema and been getting good feedback on it. So I think it could work very well for psoriasis as well. It comes from the nigella seed. You would buy it in oil form in a health shop. It's just simply called black seed oil and just rub a little bit of that on the eyelid. OK, Anne wants to know your view on prescription tablets for a toenail fungus. Or is there an alternative solution? that you could recommend? So what we think works the best, the, the prescription, I presume, is a very powerful antifungal and they do obviously affect your whole gut microbiome because they do go through your gut and your system that way before and while they get through the bloodstream. So I think if you can try a natural alternative, it's better because it doesn't really disrupt anything. And we love the grapefruit seed extract. It's a very powerful natural antifungal and it comes in liquid form. It's uh, higher nature do it. It's actually they do it under the, the name citricidal. So what I recommend people do is apply it directly onto the toe, the fungal toe, uh, every morning and every night going to bed. And then twice a week at least, put a couple of good few drops in with some warm water and do a foot soak so it gets right in under the toenail. Put a few drops in when you're washing your socks because it'll disinfect your socks as well. And But just bear in mind, it's going to be the new toenail that comes back up that won't have the fungus. Um, and your toenail may go black. So you do need to give it time. Toes are, toenails are very, very slow to grow. So it could take you six months, even longer maybe, to get the the healthy toenail back up so persist with it. Yeah, it's one of those things that just takes such a, lo- a long time. Okay, have I time for this one? I do quickly. This is to do with uh, Hi Annalise. Uh, results from ultrasound show a bit of fatty liver and one gallstone. Uh, I'm on meds for blood pressure and cholesterol. What would you recommend? A bit so of fatty liver. Fatty liver, I would definitely look um, at cutting everything sugar and sugary foods out of the diet because that will contribute. Minimise the amount of fruit and fruit juice that you're taking. In terms of helping with fatty liver, there is a lovely herb called berberine, B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E. That would be a great one to try. And the other one that I said for diabetes, the alpha-lipoic acid, that's another very protective one. So follow and cut out everything white, Patricia, out of your diet. So no sugar, low-carb diet, berberine and alpha-lipoic acid. Okay, would you have any recommendations for tinnitus? Somebody is on something called CERC, S-E-R-C. S-E-R-C doesn't seem to be getting any respite from it is there anything from the health shop that could help with tinnitus which is such an an annoying uh, thing to have it is well there's a couple of different reasons for tinnitus Patricia and if it is inflammation of the inner air after a virus we did have a lovely supplement years ago that was taken off the like it just was a, a not a not a big seller so they discontinued it and in there they had a powerful mix of anti uh, inflammatories and rosmarinic acid from rosemary and uh, a bacteria called lactobacillus salivarius so it's there is no single product in the health shop that could do that so i could recommend taking a natural anti-inflammatory a probiotic and then maybe take drinking rosemary tea and seeing does that have any benefit okay all right and as 
always, you'll put up all of the information that we discussed today on your website, healthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio. Have a lovely week. Thank we you. won't talk next week, of course, bank holiday next week, so oh, the week right. after. T- chat in two Enjoy weeks. It. Take care. Bye bye. That is Annalise of the Health Hub, Times Square in uh, Balancholic. And of course, Jean Paul uh, puts up as a separate podcast uh, what we've just been uh, speaking with with Annalise, because I appreciate we go through so much and she gives out so much fantastic information. It isn't always possible to take it down so you can listen uh, wherever you get your podcasts from later on this afternoon John Paul will have Annalise's slot up as a podcast okay that's where I wrap it up for today thank you to a huge huge number of people contacting the programme this morning apologies if we didn't get around to all your texts and uh, calls but sometimes that's the way it happens when we get in a lot of commentary Nick uh, Richards is away today so Mark Malone is with him for the afternoon thanks to John Paul we'll talk tomorrow at 10 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie want flexibility? take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance? check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company they offer flexible budget friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.